Uh, If you could just keep your Bibles open to that passage that we read. Let me uh, pray for us. Uh, Father, we humble ourselves before you now, knowing that we stand righteous before you, purely because of a righteousness we've been given through the costly sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. But having made us your people, you now call us to uh, put to death sin in our life. So we pray that you'd give us grace to uh, understand something more of how this works and to be people uh, determined to bring honour to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been doing an occasional series on uh, what it means to be spiritually healthy according to the book of uh, Colossians. We've seen that to be spiritually healthy, we need to know what healthy looks like. See, if we live among a lot of unhealthy people, we might think that we're healthy because we're comparing ourselves uh, to other people. That's why we need to understand that true spirituality is to be connected to Christ and to be grounded in him. We saw that uh, all that God is dwells in Christ so that we can't be more spiritual by going anywhere else but to the Lord Jesus. Uh, We've seen last time that a part of being spiritually healthy is to be vaccinated against certain forms of false teaching that might draw us away from Christ uh, to other false forms of spirituality. And today we're going to look at the idea that sometimes for the sake of our health we need quite radical solutions such as surgery. Sometimes we need to have an aggressive invasion of our body to get rid of some disease that would kill us quickly if not removed. And so the passage we'll look at now is about applying the work and teaching of Christ to ourselves in an aggressive way by killing our sin and replacing that with characteristics suitable to our new position in Jesus. And so far in Colossians we've seen that it's a letter written not to counteract specific false teaching uh, that was affecting this church but to warn this church of what sort of false teaching will come their way. Uh, to warn them of the basic shape that false teaching takes. But of course, Paul's main tactic for helping people with false teaching is to understand the gospel properly in the first place. So in Colossians, he's emphasised the idea that in Christ, the fullness of God dwells bodily. So all that God is dwells in Christ. Therefore, if you have Christ and know him and are seeking after him and obeying his teaching, you have all that you need to be spiritual. You can't add to Christ because all that, it is, all that God is, is in him. And the problem we need to look at today can be captured by the question, if I'm a new person in Christ, given a new status and identity, I've been made completely right with God and stand righteous before him because of Jesus. 
and he's forgiven my sins, why do I then continue to sin so much in my daily life? Why is my life still characterised by certain sins and certain habits? And uh, Colossians 2.23 is uh, quite critical in understanding where chapter 3 is going with all this. And to get our head round this a bit more, we need to understand that there are two main ways the problem of sin is presented in the New Testament. See, there's the legal aspect of our sin, whereby we are under judgment and condemnation as uh, you know, prison fellowships, an important ministry here in this church, and we, those that are involved in that hear a lot about that, don't they? People are condemned because they've broken the law. So in the previous passage, we saw that, in fact, we have a legal record of all our sins that are being held against us, but that this was destroyed uh, by the cross of Jesus. So in Christ, we are free from condemnation and judgment. But there's also the issue of our ongoing daily sins, which some people call the pollution of sin. The habits and practices of our old life as a sinner. Uh, An illustration I find quite helpful to understand this is when uh, Abraham Lincoln signed the Declaration in America to free all slaves, at that point all slaves in America were free. Legally, No one could hold another or possess another person. But what actually happened in practice is you don't just switch off from being a slave. What actually happened is for black people, whenever they walked past white people, still they would bow. Still they would acknowledge some form of superiority. Still they would act as slaves. But legally, they were free. And this is how it works a bit with us and our sin. Legally, we're free from condemnation. We stand right before God completely because of the Lord Jesus Christ. But yet, we still act and live as slaves to sin. And what Paul is addressing in verse 23 is that there are many false ways that or forms of false teaching that are about to make their way into this church. And some of these forms of false teaching advocate other means of dealing with this practice of our daily sin rather than a Christ-centred way. And so some of these ways that Paul talks about here are People seek the help of spiritual or natural forces or some people apply more regulations or law to their life or other people even might take the approach of treating their body harshly to try to control these ongoing daily sins. And that was common in the Middle Ages, wasn't it? People used to punish themselves or inflict suffering upon themselves to try to break their habits of sin. And Paul describes this ongoing practice of sin in our daily life 
as the indulgence of the flesh. See, flesh in the New Testament is like the power of the sinful lifestyle to entice us to live as someone still under the control of sin. And it's powerful. We all know that in our experience. And Paul says here there are various ways to try to deal with this ongoing practice of daily sin in our life that will appear wise. And I'm sure we all know people who believe that more rules is the answer to control sin. Oh, there's sin, let's add more rules. And less common today is the idea we've just talked about that harsh treatment of the body will control sin. And in some ways this does make sense to us as humans. So, for example, someone who is a gossip might think, gee, I gossiped a bit too much today. If I wire brush my tongue for 20 seconds, that will teach myself a lesson and it will help me break the habit of gossip. Now, of course, in our culture now, that would sound ridiculous, but that is only because, on the whole, our culture is so lacking in concern about sinfulness that doing anything extreme to deal with it wouldn't enter most people's minds. A well-known atheist of a previous century once said, I find the best way to deal with temptation is to give in immediately. And that probably sums up our culture. And likewise, rules can't control sin in an ongoing or sustainable way. It's putting an external constraint on an internal problem. And the other thing Paul mentions here is something like nature religion, which might be equivalent to our, in our culture to like a new age type approach where people seek to tap into natural forces, a bit like the force in Star Wars, some, some vague force in nature that can help us control our desires and to not be enslaved to sin. Maybe we can use an illustration of a computer. So if you have a malfunctioning computer and the problem is the central processing unit, the, real, the guts of the computer that causes the computer to freeze up often and lose data, the harsh treatment of the body people, people who think that that's an effective method, they might sink their fist into the monitor or the keyboard and think, that'll fix the problem. Or the add more rules people, they might just start piling on more software. If I add this to fix that and add this to fix that, That'll fix it. Or the self-made religion people might hang a few crystals or magnets around. And that's sure to fix the problem. But of course the real answer, fix the central processing unit. Fix the problem. Don't deal with the symptoms. And this is where Paul is going in chapter 3. How do we deal with our ongoing sinfulness in a Christ-centred way? How does our identification with Christ lead us to a new way of daily life? 
And the first concept he talks about in chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, is something like heavenly thinking. There used to be the saying that someone is so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly use. But the reverse is perhaps more likely to be true these days. Some believers are so worldly minded that they can be of no heavenly use. But the reason, and the reason some of us react against this, this phrase, heavenly thinking, is because it's been defined badly. See, putting our minds on heavenly things is not some picture of angels playing harps on clouds. That's not what Paul's telling us to do. It's more like lift your minds out of the gutter or moral spiritual sewer in which we live and set your mind on Christ. On a proper Christ-centred perspective on our life and our actions. See, if Christ is who he is described in Colossians, if he is the fullness of deity in bodily form, then only in him can we get a true perspective on what's right, on what's holy, on who we are as sinful people. So Paul says, if you've been raised with Christ, that is, if you are a new person in Christ by believing in him, being made right by him, then set yourself on things where he is. On things above, where Christ is seated at God's right hand. And again, misconception, this does not mean daydream about heaven so that we do nothing now. It means align our values and priorities with Christ as we live here now. This is not escapism, far from it. This is the conviction to fully embrace our new identity in Jesus and to live that out now. See, we need to reorientate our thinking. As we said in the intro, if we live surrounded by unhealthy, we may think we're okay until we see what it means to be truly healthy. And then we realise how far from healthy we are. The reason we must lift our minds to heavenly things is to gain a proper perspective on what matters, on how reality is. And verse 2 is similar, but the emphasis here is on our mind. So it says, set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. Again, it doesn't mean neglect your responsibilities to work and play sport and interact with your colleagues. But it means in all these things, the values and priorities of the kingdom are what govern us. And Paul has especially in view here false spirituality that diminishes Christ in his central place. Don't chase after or get distracted by things that reduce the significance of Christ. So, for example, if many of your unbelieving friends are driven 
by what material possessions they're saving up for and going to buy next month to enhance their life. Don't start thinking, yeah, I need one of those. Instead, set your minds on heavenly things and ask them the question, is that really what matters? Is that what's important? Is that what you're living for? Consider what we have in Christ. And in verses 3 to 4, Paul reiterates again why we can do this. We died in Christ and we are now in Christ. Who we are as a sinner is dead. We don't live for what we used to live for. And that the phrase that our life is hidden in Christ means something along the lines that we're not actually in heaven yet with him physically, but we are hidden safely in him so that we certainly will be. But even now there is his real presence in our life. And verse 4 follows from this that our whole life is bound up with Christ so that when he comes we will be physically with him. The fullness of the kingdom of God is before us. And so in terms of the driving issue of this passage, how can we deal with our daily habits of sinfulness? The initial response here is, well, understand what Christ has done and who you are in him and what that means for the ultimate future. Set your mind on him. And in doing this, it will coincide with putting off certain things from our life and putting on other things. And the word Paul uses here is the same as if you take off old clothes to put on new ones. So we've got to take off the rubbish and filth that belong to who we were as a sinner and redress ourselves with more suitable things. So we take off the thoughts and actions of those who are outside of Christ and put on the thoughts and actions of people who are now in Christ. And verses 5 to 11 talk about what we need to put off. But of course in verse 5, Paul there uses quite a stronger word than put off. He says put to death. He says, kill it. See, who we are as a sinner is dead because of Christ's death. Now you put to death the lifestyle and habits and thoughts that used to go with who you were as a sinner. Kill those things. Or more literally here, kill those things or aspects of your life that were of this earth or or worldly. And so verses 5 to 6, we see some of these things. And as you read through this list, you'll see that it's mostly a list about sexual behaviour and thinking and money-related behaviour and thinking, which just goes to show our culture is not unique. These have always been two of the major problems for sinners. 
since Adam. They are powerful and enticing things and very destructively when used idolatrously. So if you have problems with lust or porno or just a wrong view of sexuality as a self-centred activity, then put that to death. Develop a healthy Christ-centred view of sexuality. Or if you're driven by material possessions and the desire just to have the latest and best and newest and biggest... Remember that focusing on our our life on created things is futile in the end. It's not not about keeping Christ in the centre, so put it to death. Get rid of it. And verse 6 gives the warning side of this, doesn't it? Because of these things, the anger of God is coming. And this is a basic truth of the whole Bible, isn't it? That God is angry with sinners and one day there will be a final judgment. There will be a final full expression of God's anger against what has been done in his good creation by sinful people. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And then verse 7, you used to walk this way, but don't anymore. And he goes on to give another list of things to get rid of from our life because these belong to the lifestyle of those upon whom God's anger is coming. And the idea behind this list of things is that it's about, it's talking about our relationships with others in terms of how we talk about and to each other and these things are problems for believers because fundamentally God is about truth kindness wholesomeness and so on see we contradict the very nature of God and his gospel when we lie and slander and gossip these things belong to people outside of Christ They're not suitable for people in Christ. And what's interesting here is that the command verb to put to death uses the tense in Greek for a one-off completed action. So there's probably a sense here in what Paul means is decide once and for all to get rid of these things from your life because they don't belong anymore. Decide and understand these things are not suitable for people in Christ. Get rid of them. And what's also acknowledged or implied here is that some habits of sinfulness are hard to kill. See, sin doesn't die easily. And sometimes the reason for this, sometimes, is that we've not fully determined that we want to do it. See, sometimes we want to keep a little bit of sin alive because we like it. Sometimes we want to dabble or make excuses 
and not get aggressive in dealing with our sin. Sometimes we just don't want to do that. A well-known theologian of a couple of centuries ago, John Owen, said it this way, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And then in verse 10, we see that we are to put on behaviours of our new self. See, Christ has given us a new identity and status of righteousness before him. Now, put on things that are suitable to that. Reclothe yourself. And another important idea here is, or rationale here is, because this takes us back to what we were created to be as image bearers of God. See, the image of God in us has been distorted by sin and twisted and mangled. But it is being progressively renewed for believers towards the goal of people who reflect the image of God perfectly and understand him and his purposes in Christ properly. And of course we've seen already in Colossians that Christ is the ultimate pattern or the ultimate expression of the image of God. And in verse 11, in all these matters, Paul reminds us that Christ breaks down things that would otherwise divide people. Christ breaks down social and racial boundaries. See, who we are as believers is not primarily about work, gender, race. It's about Jesus. God is forming a new humanity through Christ and this is to be foremost in the way that we understand ourselves. We're not first and foremost Australians or workers or footy players. We are first and foremost God's new humanity in Christ. So because of this, not only do we put to death and put off our sinful habits and put on godly, uh, but we also put on godly ones which we see listed verses 12 to 14. So this new humanity in Christ should be characterised by certain things. And particularly notice verse 12, God uses the language of the old covenant, is of Israel, to describe this new humanity. The ultimate expression of Israel is a new humanity in Christ made up from all nations. So while what we, would, what we are doing here and now, this very minute, in the eyes of the world is quite pointless and a waste of time, it is fundamental to God or to the purpose of God that his people should gather and live together in a certain way, particularly shaped by love. Because God is saving people by his son and bringing them together to live under his rule. And so the way we live together reflects back on him. Then in verses 15 to 17, he gives more general instructions on how to be Christ-centred people in this new humanity. 
So we are to live at peace with one another. The peace here is the peace of harmonious relationships because Christ has broken down the things that divide people. Our unity in him is far greater than our differences, which you know some Christians fail to come to grips with. We are to make sure that we let this govern us as a body of believers. Our identity in Jesus is more important than anything else. So Paul begins this section by talking about false ways to deal with the ongoing practice of sin in our life, which is add more rules, treat your body harshly, or pursue other religious beliefs, because none of these will ultimately control sin. But these other things, are more fundamentally, are not the right way, because they don't keep Christ central. The right way is to understand who we are in Christ, and consider just how central this is in God's purposes. And as we do this, We are to put to death or get rid of habits of our former sinful life and put on characteristics fitting for God's holy people. And this is not something to play with, but comes from a genuine and determined desire to get rid of sinful behaviour. Sometimes these lists in the Bible are overwhelming, aren't they? (laughs) Because if we're honest, it just shows how far we have to go. So maybe one useful thing to do is, of course, keep all these things in mind, but maybe pick one or two of these habits of sinfulness that you need to get rid of. And one or two characteristics of godliness that you need to clothe yourself with. And seek his grace and put them to death. Determine to kill it. See, what, and what aspects of godliness do you need to add? Seek his grace and put it on. Be like God's son, who is the image of God. See, so to be spiritually healthy, we need to know Christ, not be distracted from him to fads and other things. We need to be aware that there is false teaching that would take us from Christ. And we need to be active in killing the cancer of sinful habits from our life and putting on habits and characteristics fitting to those who serve the Lord Jesus. But one thing, just final thing, to tie this up that we must understand, of course, and is vitally important, is to understand that we do this from a secure position. See, we don't do this to become right with God. We do this because we are right with God through Jesus. See, none of our sin will be held against us. But as people who have God's spirit, 
and who have been given a new identity and status, why would we want to keep living as slaves? Let me uh, pray for us. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for its clarity that we are to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection as the means by which our sins are forgiven and that we can stand uh, righteous before you. Uh, Please help us to continue to not become so familiar with this that we uh, do start showing contempt for it. But help us to uh, continually understand the glorious truth of this And please help us from this secure position that you've put us in to get rid of things that are just simply not suitable for your people and to put on things that are. Please even now be at work in our hearts to expose those things that we just have to kill and to put on those things that are very deficient. But may we understand that we do this from such a secure position in Jesus and help us to do this together uh, as your holy people. And we pray these things for Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen.